What an honor for the Lord, what an honor to the Lord as uh, we have such gifted musicians and singers who come and just point us toward him each Sunday. If you have your Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs and we'll be in the third chapter. If you're using one of the black Bibles in the uh, rack in front of you, it is page 555. That'll be easy to find. Uh, I wonder how many of you can remember back, and for some of you this won't be a long ways back, but you can remember to the day uh, that uh, you would be given a test in school and the instructor would announce that it is an open book test. Wasn't that good news? If you could use your book, if you could use your notes, there was always at least some hope, right? That you would get some of the answers correct. I, I loved it when the tests were open book tests. Uh, well, one of the things that we know about life is that life is a test. It is a rigorous test. And in fact, uh, many people do not do well on the test of life. But the good news is that life is an open book test. And the book is the Word of God. And we can turn to the Word of God to find the answers to the questions uh, that life brings to us. Uh, now, some people have said that the Word of God is the how-to manual for life. And I don't know if that's the best way to describe the Bible, because certainly the Bible is much, much more than that. But it is true that the Bible will give us the answers uh, that we need in order to live a successful and God-honoring life. Uh, you should know that the Bible, uh, when I say it's not just a how-to book, the Bible is mostly about what? It is mostly about Jesus. In, in fact, from the first page to the last page, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible is a book about Jesus. And the Old Testament points to Jesus uh, shows us the need that we have for Jesus to come and rescue us from the penalty of sin. And then the New Testament shows us how Jesus did that and how that can be meaningful in our lives. The whole Bible is a book about Jesus. But when we take the information about life and we combine it then with a relationship with Jesus, then the Bible certainly tells us how it is that we should live. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to look into some of the wisdom of the Bible. We're going to look at the wisdom book, the book of Proverbs, and we're going to discover some of the wisdom of the Bible. I think to do that, we need to begin by giving a good definition for wisdom because I think people are confused about this. What is wisdom? And maybe the best way to define it is to say what it is not. Wisdom is not intelligence. Wisdom is not just the accumulation of knowledge. People can have great stores of knowledge. You could be Mr. Trivia. You, you could be able to pass any kind of exam that somebody could, could give to you. You could have all the knowledge in the world and still not have wisdom. Wisdom is not intellect and it is not the, the acquisition of knowledge. No, wisdom is when, when the knowledge makes a real impact in your life. You know, you can be a certified public accountant, a CPA, and I know we have CPAs in our church. I'm thankful for you. Uh, but you can be a CPA and still poorly manage your personal finances, right? 
And, and, and so you could have all the knowledge in the world, but you might not have the wisdom for that knowledge to make a, a difference in your life. You could be a brilliant doctor, but still neglect your personal health. You could be a gifted counselor, yet have a rotten marriage. Uh, because wisdom is, is not just the know-how, it is the how-to, it, it is the way that that information impacts our lives. And so here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is when you take the, the, the counsel of God, the wisdom, the, uh, the instructions from the Lord found in Scripture, and you combine them with a life that is surrendered to Christ. It takes both or it's not wisdom. If, if you just have information, but you don't have a life surrendered to Christ, then that just makes you a smart person. If, if you have a life surrendered to Christ, but it, it were uh, separated somehow from the word of God, then you would not be a wise person. But wisdom happens when you take the instructions of God and you combine them with a life surrendered to him. If you were to go home and take a gas can, and go down to the, to the service station and fill it up with five gallons of gas and then take it back home and set it in a wagon, okay? Now, is that wagon gonna go fast because there's a can of gas in it? No, you've brought the fuel to the vehicle, but something's missing, right? It doesn't have an engine. There's no way to convert that fuel into forward momentum. It doesn't matter that there's a can of gas sitting in your wagon. The wagon's not capable of using that gas. And so if you just bring information to a person and there's not a surrender to Christ, then the information of this book will not change a person's life. Uh, a lost person could know the book of Proverbs backwards and forwards, and it still not make an impact because a relationship with Christ is key. And I think that's, that's how people often read the book of Proverbs wrong. I think that's why, uh, how a lot of people preach the, the book of Proverbs to, to no effect because th th this is the counsel of God that has the power to change a life, but only a life that is surrendered to him. And so over the next few weeks, I want to take the wisdom, uh, the information found in the book of Proverbs, and I want us to see how we can integrate that with our lives surrendered to Christ. And for the glory of God, we can live wise lives. You ready? So uh, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Proverbs. Uh, we call it the book of wisdom, uh, but of course there's wisdom in every book in the Bible. Uh, but this is specifically a book of wisdom. It's mostly written by a man uh, named Solomon. Solomon was uh, the son of David, one of the sons of David, and he was the king who followed King David. Uh, Solomon was, at least for a time, the wisest man ever. First uh, Kings chapter four says this of him. God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone. And so Solomon was a wise man and he was a prolific writer. First Kings 432 says Solomon spoke 3000 Proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. And so he was a prolific writer. And so some of those proverbs, about 300 of them, 
uh, have been assembled together through the work of the Holy Spirit into the book of Proverbs. And so here we have a number of Proverbs from Solomon, but also from uh, some other people that God inspired uh, to write down his wisdom. Now, when you look at the book of Proverbs, it's a, it's a 31 chapters, uh, but uh, the first third of it is an introduction. And really, formally, you don't get to the first proverb until you get to chapter 10, verse 1. And so you'll see some of that organization over the next few weeks. Uh, proverbs 1 and 2 are, are really my favorite because it was through those two proverbs that uh, the Lord led me to uh, call on him as my savior as a teenager in high school. And so if uh, you know somebody who is uh, struggling with a decision for Christ, encourage them to read, as I was encouraged to read, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 2, and uh, perhaps the Lord will use that to, uh, to bring them to him. Uh, Proverbs 3 gives us a good overview of wisdom and perhaps is the most important chapter in the entire book and that's where our focus will be uh, today. Proverbs 3 really tells us as we go through the rest of this book, it's going to tell us wh where the handholds are. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I haven't done any rock climbing, but uh, they say that the key to climbing uh, rocks, uh, to, to, to climbing these, uh, uh, these cliffs, is to know where to put your hands, where to, where to get a good grip. Uh, and, and, and I think as you go through the book of Proverbs, the key is to know how to grab hold of these Proverbs. If you just read them, they'll be interesting, some of them weird, some of them. Uh, but, but if you know where to really grab hold of them, then they'll be meaningful to you. And Proverbs 3 tells us uh, how to do that. And so we're going to just take an overview, really, of uh, the whole idea of the wisdom of God from Proverbs 3. Now, I'll tell you, in the, in the next few weeks, we're going to get very specific maybe uncomfortably specific as the Proverbs get very specific about life. Uh, but I, I think first we just need to take a bird's eye view of how Proverbs, along with a surrendered heart, heart surrendered to Christ, can change our lives. So Proverbs chapter 3, let me begin in verse 1. He says, my son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Now, you should know this, especially if you're a teenager, a college student today, uh, this was originally written from a father to a son. This, uh, this is a book written to teenagers. It, it, it's the first uh, teen worship talk, I suppose, the first youth group talk. And so Solomon is the youth minister, so to speak. He's the dad, but he's speaking to his son. Uh, who, by the way, didn't follow very much of what uh, you find in the book of Proverbs. But its purpose, its first purpose was to speak to his son, a teenager, about how to live uh, a wise life. Verse 2, for they will bring you many days, a full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. He's talking about how these should follow you all of your days. Verse 4. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and with people. Does that sound familiar, that verse, find favor with God and people? And so that's, uh, that's, that's said of Christ as he grew up, that he found favor with God and, and with people. Uh, he certainly was a, was a wise person. We'll see some more of that at the end of the message. And then verse 5, and here's where we're going to focus, verses 5 and 6 and 7. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart." And do not rely on your own understanding. 
And just, just let that sink in a moment. Trust in the Lord. We, we talked about trust last week some. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't rely, don't lean on your own understanding. And then verse six, in all of your ways acknowledge him or know him and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So there, there are three things that I want you to understand about how it is that we can embrace wisdom in our lives, how we can be different uh, because of the power of God's word in our lives this next week. Number one, we need to recognize our limited understanding. Uh, the, the first step to being wiser is understanding how dumb you are today, okay? You, you can't get smart in a biblical sense until you first get dumb. You've gotta understand that there, there are so many things that you don't know. There are so many things that you think you know, but you are wrong about. The first step in embracing wisdom is we must recognize how limited our understanding is. Look back at verse five. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and then what? and do not rely on your own understanding. Why does he say don't rely or don't lean on your own understanding? Because uh, the wise man knew that, that our understanding is very, very limited. We think we know things. We think we know what's going on in the world. We think we know what's going on in our lives, but we don't. Now, let's, let's talk specifically about that. First of all, we have a very limited understanding of the present. Uh, we, we think we know what the people around us are thinking. You think you know what the people around you are thinking? You think you know what I'm thinking? I think I know what you're thinking, and we're both wrong, right? You think you know the status of your job? You think you know what the economy's doing? You think you know what your health is? You think you know what your children or your parents are thinking? But you are wrong. Our understanding of the present is limited. The second reason we should we should recognize this is, is because we have a limited insight into the future. Not only do you not know what's going on today, you certainly don't know what's going to go on tomorrow. Uh, somebody in our church, their entire life will probably change tomorrow. Somebody, something terrible will happen tomorrow. Something wonderful will happen tomorrow. Uh, there, there are all kinds of things. I, I just think about the secrets I know here in the church, things that some of you have shared with me and that some of you other people don't know yet, and, and we'll find out one day. I'm just telling you, none of us know what the future holds. We have a very limited insight into the future. And, and so, in order for us to be wise, we just have to recognize how badly we need God's direction. If you think you've got this all figured out, you're not gonna benefit from the, God's wisdom. If you think you don't need it, then you won't get it. But if, if we can start with an appreciation of just how limited we are. Well, what if we were to do this? I, I will give you a hundred dollars. I'll do this to everybody here. It'll take my challenge this morning. A real hundred dollar bill, okay? And all you have to do is get in your car, and pull out of the parking lot, it has to be your car, okay? But pull out of the parking lot and uh, take, a, uh, take a right here on North Street and, and go to the first traffic light, turn left, make a circle around the city block up here, whatever that's called, and come back to the church and park here under the awning in 10 minutes. Can you do that in 10 minutes? Blindfolded, blindfolded. <laughs> All right, now, maybe I should have started with that, but you got to be blindfolded. 
completely blindfolded, and, uh, and I'll do it. Now, now, why will nobody take me up on that? Or hopefully nobody will take me up on that. Because you recognize that, that blindfolded, you, you wouldn't get out of the parking lot, right? You, you, would, you would cause all kind of damage to yourself and other people. It would be a disaster. It would cost you many, many more times $100 to fix the problems that you would cause. And, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even attempt that because you recognize just how, how difficult it would be. You, you don't know how, where you are, when to turn, or when traffic's coming. Well worse than driving blindfolded would be driving blindfolded and not know it, right? And see, that's the situation we're in in life. You're blindfolded in life. You are. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The only question is whether or not you know you're blindfolded in life. And, and the terrible thing is most people just don't know. But if we're going to be wise people, if we're going to benefit from the wisdom of God, we've got to recognize how limited our understanding is. Let me tell you how most people make decisions. And you see if this sounds familiar to you. We're we're trying to decide, maybe you're trying to decide some important um, uh, path that you're going to go down for you and your family. And so here's how most people do it. First, they just decide what they want to do. Okay, we, we usually cut to the chase. And uh, we decide what it is that we want to do based on our preferences and our goals. We decide right off the bat, whether you will say it or not, because sometimes people will, you know, pretend to make a decision for weeks and weeks. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, pastor, you got to help me know what is the Lord's will. And, but usually at the very beginning of the process, we've already decided what it is that we want to do. Then the second step is we ask God to confirm what we've already decided we're going to do. So we pray. I mean, we're spiritual people. Oh, Lord. I just pray that, you know, I'm making the right decision. I'm just praying that uh, somehow this is exactly what you want me to do. And then number three, we search really hard for a sign from the Lord that God agrees with us and what we're going to do, whether we find a sign or not, right? And so we're just desperately looking for some indication that God must be on our side. And then finally, we just ask God to bless the decision that we made at the very beginning of the process. But listen. If we're going to be wise people, we can't do that. We can't just start making decisions. We have to start with this idea that we, we are limited, that our understanding is so limited that we desperately need the advice and the direction of the Lord. In order to be a wise person, you must recognize that you're limited understanding. Number two, if we're going to have wisdom, we must embrace the wisdom of the Lord instead of the wisdom of the world. So there's the Lord's wisdom as found in the book of Proverbs and the rest of the pages of scripture. And then there's the wisdom of the world. We must embrace the Lord's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. Now look back at verse five, Proverbs three, five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now I want you to see if you can identify the most important word in that verse. You can see it on the screen. I want you to do this. This is uh, this is activity time. What is the most important word in that entire verse? Read it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not or do not rely on your own understanding. You know, I think the most important word in that verse is the short word all. A-L-L. He he says, trust in the Lord with, with how much of your heart? 
with all of your heart. This isn't a partial trust. This isn't a little bit trust in the Lord and I a little bit trust in the world's wisdom. I a little bit trust in what God says do and I a little bit trust in what my mom taught me to do or what my heart wants to do. No, it says with all your heart, you need to trust in the Lord. Now look down to verse six, the very next verse. He says in what? In all your ways. See, there, there's that word again. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Not just in some of your ways, but in all of your ways. You know, God's instructions are, are take it or leave it, really. God doesn't give us his wisdom so that we can sprinkle his wisdom into our life to make it a little more savory. I mean, this isn't like putting salt on your uh, potato chips or something. The, 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 God doesn't give us his wisdom to, to, to balance out uh, bad decisions in life. This is not like taking a, a multivitamin with your donut breakfast in the morning so you feel better about it. It, it. It's not that you mix a little bit of God's wisdom with a little bit of the wisdom of the world and somehow that makes it better. It's, it's one or the other. That's why he says here, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. If you're hanging from a cliff and you're holding on to some root and I stick my hand down to rescue you, you've got to decide, are you going to hold on to the root or are you going to grab a hold of my hand? It's one or the other. You have to exchange the security of the root for the security of my hand. And, and what this verse is telling us is that we must abandon the wisdom of the world and we must exchange it. We must embrace instead of the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God. Now you might say, well, pastor, are, are they really that different? The world's got a lot of smart people in it. Is the wisdom of the world different than the wisdom of God? Well, it absolutely is different. It's, it's going in a different direction. Let me give you some examples. Let's take marriage, marriage. And so there are a lot of things we could say about marriage, but I know we have a lot of young people in our church and a lot of college students in our church, a lot of singles in our church. So let's talk about this part of marriage. The world says that you ought to live together before you get married. And you know, frankly, the world has a pretty good argument for that. You know, you wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying it on, right? And, and so you shouldn't get married until you live together for a couple of years. You need to make sure you're compatible. You need to make sure that, uh, you know, you're compatible with just domestic life. You need to make sure that you're sexually compatible. That's what the world is telling people now. You need to, you need to figure out all this compatibility first. And, and then after two or three years, if everything is going well, then you can make uh, a more serious commitment. Now, from a worldly perspective, I mean, let's just be honest, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if I, if I weren't a, a believer, you know, and I were just some secular counselor somewhere, that's probably the advice I would give. It seems logical. It seems rational. That's the worldly wisdom. But God's wisdom goes in a completely different direction, right? God says, no, you, you, compatibility in marriage is not something that you, that, you, that you find out if you have. No, you make a commitment a covenant uh, before the Lord to one another and God creates compatibility in, in your marriage. You, you, you have compatibility because you get in there and you figure it out together. God says something entirely different. And, and so, so if, if you're a single person, you've got to decide, am I going to, am I going to follow the wisdom of the world or am I going to follow the wisdom of uh, uh, of the Lord. Now, a lot of single people try to figure out a way to do both, but, but that's the whole point of this, uh, 
of, of this point. That, that, that's the whole point of the word all in verse 5 and verse 6. It, it's, it's not both and, it's either or. We, we either follow the wisdom of the world or we follow the wisdom of God and we have the blessings of God with us. They're very different. Well, we could talk about financial things and we're going to talk for a whole message about financial things in the next uh, few weeks because the book of Proverbs gets very specific about this. Um, but the world would say when it comes to finances that if you have any extra at all that you ought to save every single penny you can. That you ought to hoard as much as you can because nobody knows what's coming next. Nobody knows when we're going to have a depression again. Nobody knows when they're going to lose a job. Nobody knows when their health is going to fail. Nobody's, nobody knows when the next rainy day is going to come and, and you need to save everything you can. I mean, once you have a little extra, you, you need to save it. You need to hoard it the best you can. Now, now the Bible we're going to see in a few weeks, uh, talks about the importance of saving and, and it talks about the importance of budgeting and, and, and wise living in, in respect to those things. But, but the Bible just gives a whole different perspective on that. Now, now that, that wisdom of hoarding makes sense from a worldly perspective. I mean, that's, it, it's not because the world is stupid. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. But God says, no, when, when you have extra, I mean, I mean, beyond your tithe, beyond what you give every week, the 10%. But when you have extra beyond that, the Bible says that, that your first thought ought to be, how can I invest that in the things of God? Not that you shouldn't save, and we're going to talk about that, but the Bible talks about our perspective ought to be different from that. Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, uh, uh, the person who gives freely yet gains more, one person, I should say, gives freely yet gains more, another withholds what is right only to become poor. And, and so there's the worldly way of looking at it, and there's godly way, and it's, it's, they're in different directions. We could talk about just relationships in general. The world says it, it's a good thing to hold a grudge. If somebody does you wrong, you ought to remember that. And you ought to hold it over their head. Don't let somebody hurt you twice. You should remember the pain, never let them off. Don't forget they owe you. And you could make a pretty good case for that from a worldly perspective, but, but God says, no, freely forgive those who've hurt you. And if they hurt you again, freely forgive them once again. It, it, it's, it's wisdom in two different directions. And we could go on. Uh, we could talk about the tongue. The world says that if you know something, especially if you know something particularly um, you know, interesting, you, you ought to tell people because that makes you more popular. You know, people will come to you because they know you know stuff. But God says, no, don't, don't seek to be popular because you know things. Uh, seek to be respected because you keep things confidential. Uh, anger. You know, the world says if, uh, that, that you ought to vent your anger, that it's, it's better for you uh, uh, psychologically, that it's better for you physically, medically, but also it'll, it'll just uh, help people get in line with what, what direction you think they ought to go. Uh, you, you read business books about how to lead organizations and it, you know, it talks about how to be so clear and how to, how to be angry and how to be so forthright in the things that you say. But of course, God's word says something different. Uh, the world says to put yourself first, that happiness comes from taking care of number one. God's wisdom says to put yourself last. The world says to promote yourself. God's wisdom says, let another praise you. Proverbs 27, 2. Uh, the world says, focus, focus on your future 
And God says, focus on his glory, that you will be most satisfied when you focus on his glory. We must not see godly wisdom as something that we just add to worldly wisdom to make life a little better. We must see this as an exchange. We must embrace the wisdom of the Lord, letting go of the wisdom of the world. Now, this confuses people because there are, uh, there are times when these paths, the path of worldly wisdom, the path of godly wisdom, there are times when these paths will be traveling in the same direction. I mean, sometimes worldly wisdom will say save money and godly wisdom will say save money too. And, and so they look like they're going in the same direction. But they have different destinations. We can't go down both paths. It's one or the other. You know, I love analogies. If you've heard me preach very much, you know, I like to say this is sort of like that, which reminds us of this other thing. And uh, that, that's how people learn. Uh, that's how you learn to, you know, to speak and how you learn to read. And, and so that's how I like to teach. I got this idea from Jesus. And he was a pretty decent teacher in his day, so uh, I'm copying him. Uh, but, but in my love for analogies, I'm always looking for just examples of how spiritual truth shows itself in the world. And, and you know, I think one of, the, one of the best places to look, to see this idea of, of the benefit of godly wisdom is, is just to get to know senior adults. And maybe not all senior adults, but uh, many senior adults, especially many senior adults in church, uh, and, and just, just see how their lives uh, paint a picture of the value of embracing God's wisdom instead of the world's wisdom. I think uh, two of the most successful people I know, uh, if you were to ask me, uh, Pastor, who, who are some of the most successful people you know, who... who um, who do you have some of, the, some of the greatest respect for in this world? Uh, it would be a, a couple who, who live in Ohio, and they're in their 80s. Uh, names are Ray and Bernie Wagner. And uh, Ray and Bernie Wagner are dear to me. Uh, they uh, school teachers by education and trade. Uh, for years, they taught uh, public school. They would spend their, uh, the school year teaching public school, they would spend their summers uh, uh, sometimes down, down, down in this area and, uh, and further west of here as they would uh, teach English and share the gospel at, uh, in Indian reservations. Sometimes they would go in other places in the world. Their, their goal was to see how many people they could lead to Christ every summer. Occasionally they would uh, be in a situation where they could take a whole school year off. And so, pardon me, they would go to some other place in the world and uh, they'd spend a whole year ostensibly teaching English in these uh, different places, but their real purpose, of course, was to share the gospel. They still correspond with people literally all over the world who came to know Christ because of the influence that these two people had. And they, they get letters all the time about how you know they had led these these kids to Christ and you know now the kids are 60 years old and they have kids and and grandkids and great grandkids and how in 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 in, in, in nooks uh, uh, and crannies of, of of civilization around the world there are just whole trees of Christians just whole whole family trees of of Christians because of what this family invested in brilliant people uh, so they have a theological education as well as uh, 
um, uh, the education necessary to be a, a public school teacher. Uh, but, but they're brilliant in so many ways. Years and years ago, they started a bank in their house. Uh, people just trusted them. They're trustworthy people. And uh, so, um, so they just started telling people, you bring us your money. I don't know that you could do this today. It's probably a law against it. But, you know, bring us your money and we'll, we'll safeguard it. And we will loan it out to people we trust. And, uh, you know, we'll keep some of the interest and give some of the interest to you. And the bank grew and grew and grew. And it is a bank today. You can drive to it. And uh, there it is. And it's, uh, you know, they, they sold it after a few years. But, 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 but all of the money they ever got, they just reinvested into their, into their ministry. And so now um, they, you know, they've had some struggles. Right, and they're going through some very difficult health struggles right now. Um, oh, I got to tell you one more thing they did. They... They bought a, a vehicle, an SUV, a few years ago, and they knew it would probably be the last vehicle that they would purchase. And so, uh, you know, what kind of vehicle do you purchase when you're 77 years old and, you know, your last vehicle? What, what's your criteria? I mean, some, what's your criteria? So I'll tell you what theirs was. They wanted to make sure that they could get a vehicle that would be suitable for the pastor to go on vacation with his kids. <laughs> And I have driven that vehicle all across America. I have driven it more than they have driven it. I, I, I took it for an entire summer one time. I mean, but that's just the way they, um, that's just the way they think. So, so, so they've come to this uh, time of life when, when health concerns are becoming um, much, more, much more difficult. But you know what? They are the happiest, most content, most satisfied people I know anywhere. And you know why? Because they decided to embrace the wisdom of the Lord instead of the wisdom of God a lot of years ago. And, and they haven't lived a problem-free life. They, they've had their share, but they have had a joy through it all that is just amazing. And, and, and you know people too. And I'm not the only person who knows people like that. There are people like that here. I just don't know you yet. Um, I want my life to be an analogy, an illustration of how powerful is the wisdom of God. Now, the third thing, very quickly, uh, we need to chase after the Lord's wisdom. If we're going to uh, have, have this, uh, this wisdom in our lives, we have to chase after the Lord's wisdom. So if you look back at Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. Now, when I memorized this verse a long time ago, I memorized it in a version that said, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And so what does it mean to acknowledge him or to know him, to know him? Uh, well, I, I hate just to read to you from a, from a commentary or from a dictionary, but, but, but I thought this was, this was helpful. I, one of the things that I look to when I'm studying scripture, I've got a, a set of books that... Um, that were written for Bible translators, for Wycliffe Bible translators, to help them understand what something says so that they can translate it into another language. And here's what that book says. Acknowledge him or know him is exactly that, to know him, to have an intimate acquaintance with him, to be aware of him. Its present context, in its present context, it is not simply an intellectual awareness of God's existence, but acceptance of God's presence and guide to direct your life. See, see, see what he's saying here when he, when he says in, in, verse, in verse six, in all your ways know him. 
He's saying that we ought to pursue God's wisdom like it were a treasure chest. We, 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 we ought to do everything we can to get as much of God's wisdom into our hearts and minds because of the value of God's wisdom alongside a, a heart surrendered to him is, is limitless. There's nothing more valuable. If you, you could have a pile of gold or you could have the wisdom of God uh, uh, connected with a heart surrendered to God, I'm telling you, uh, refuse the gold because the wisdom is what's going to bring uh, the things you need in life. Psalm 119.18, David said, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your love. And we, we, ought, to, we ought to be looking for pursuing, passionate about, chasing after the Lord's wisdom. Uh, I remember a bunch of years ago, uh, we were in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, summer vacation. Uh, we used to go there every summer and uh, spend a, a little bit of time. And this is when um, uh, the kids were young. I, I think Hannah was maybe six years old when this happened or seven years old. Uh, Donna will probably remember. But we went to a, a maze. You remember going to the Myrtle Beach maze? And so it's this, it's this crazy torture thing that they invented. Uh, so they've got these wooden walls that are about, I don't know, about eight feet tall. And it's, it's just a maze. I mean, it's just what you would imagine a maze would be. Perhaps you've been to one. And so you know, it's just a big, giant concrete pad and uh, all, these, all these walls. So you go in one place, and the idea is that eventually you'd come out the other place. And so uh, we, get into this, uh, we get into this maze, and uh, what seemed like a fun activity quickly turned into something else. <laughs> um, first of all, it was hot. And there was no wind in a maze. There is no wind. I didn't know that, but. And then, um, then there's the advice. Okay. I'm the leader of my family and there are times I need advice. There are times I do not, (laughs) but I've learned that advice just flows. It just flows. We have different strategy differences. And so my wife and I, we, we just approach life differently. So. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a logical person, you know, math, I love math, I love thinking about those kind of things. And we have some logical people here, and uh, I'll learn to like the rest of you eventually. But um, <laughs> my, my wife, you know, she, she's a passionate person, and she just, so we, we, you know, you come to a decision, and, you know, you, you come to this, uh, where you got to turn left or right, and my wife's thinking, you know, I just feel like we need to go left. Like, well, how can you feel like you need to go a certain direction? And I mean, I knew that logically, if you always go right, if you think about this, you logic, if you always go right, you might not find the shortest path, but you will find a path that will work. Okay. So, you know, I, I, that was my strategy. I had a logical strategy. She had a passionate strategy. Those were not compatible. And then, you know, I recognize an hour into this misery we paid for this. <laughs> so, of course, the kids are, are tired and they go to the restroom and they want something to eat. And, uh, and so I remember picking up Hannah and putting her on my shoulders because she didn't want to walk anymore. And, um, and you know, I was, I was not tall enough to see over the wall. But, of course, when Hannah got on my shoulders, she was tall enough to see and she would point to the exit. Now, she didn't know how to get from where we were to the exit, but she said, Daddy, it's just right there. She'd just point. Talk about rubbing salt in a wound. And, 
But I wanted so badly when she was on my shoulders to be able to see through her eyes. I wanted to be able to see through her eyes. Now listen, we need to have that same desire when it comes to the Lord. My greatest desire ought to, ought, ought to be to see through his eyes. Because he, he's, he's above things. He can see over the walls. He can he see around the corners. I, I need to wake up every morning with this desire to see through his eyes. And the way to see through his eyes is to just, just to chase after wisdom in the word of God. To read and study and, 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 and meditate on the word of God. Uh, the wisdom of God is so valuable if we can just make it real in our lives. I want to give you this quick challenge. Uh, so the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. 31 chapters. I want, to, I want to invite you, and you may already be doing some daily Bible reading, and I hope you are, and you should continue that. Don't let this replace that. But over the next 31 days, would you read just a chapter a day in the book of Proverbs? It's short. Let's start today. Today is the 22nd of October. Today, read Proverbs 22. Sometime today. You can do it in seven minutes. I mean, it's short. But t- today, read Proverbs 22. And tomorrow, read Proverbs 23. Whatever number day it is, you read that day. If you skip two or three days, don't try to go back and read two or three Proverbs. I mean, you can if you want to, but just read the proverb for that day. And over the next month, let us read every proverb in the book. And uh, here's what I would challenge you to do one step further. Share one proverb with somebody you love. You tell your wife, your husband, your kids, you put it on social media if you do those kinds of things. Um, But every day share something that you've learned from that day's proverb. Let us chase after the things of God. Now, I'm, I'm way out of time, but I can't stop without pointing this out. If you look at the first 12 verses of Proverbs 3, it's interesting. The odd number verses tell you what to do. The even number verses tell you what God is going to do. So we read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what to do. Verse 5, 6, and all your ways acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will make your path straight. That means he's going to straighten out some things in your life. If you've got some crooked turns in your life, it's probably because you had not been following the wisdom of the Lord. So just look at the even number verses for a moment. Verse 2, they will bring you many days, a full life and well-being. Look at verse four. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Look down to verse eight. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Verse 10, then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Verse 12, and it goes on. Now, this isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't you, you follow God and he'll make you rich and, and healthy. But, but what it's telling you is that there are some things found along the path of God's wisdom that are good things, that are good things. And these are some of the things that can be found on that path. Now, back to Jesus. Colossians 2, 3 says, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Don't forget this. Don't leave here and think that if I could just get the Proverbs out of the, out of the Bible and into my head, then I will be a wise person. No, the Proverbs have power when they come into a life surrendered to Jesus. Bow your head, close your eyes, let us pray.
Father, I, I ask that you make us wise, not just knowledgeable, not just smart. This is a smart church. It's, we're filled with educated people and people that are just smart without an education. We, we're smart people. I pray that you make us wise people. I pray that you'll be able to see it in our marriages. I pray you'll be able to see it in how we raise our kids, that you'll be able to see it in our finances, that you'll be able to see it in our attitudes. Father, make us wise by taking your word and pulling it into a heart surrendered to you. Father, today, if there are people who don't know you as their savior, who haven't done the surrendered to you part, I pray they, like Celine, who we baptized earlier, that they will say right now, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross, I trust for the forgiveness of my sins. And I surrender to him. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I want us to sing. And uh, if you'd like to come and, and make a decision, we invite you to come right now.